Welcome to episode five of Terms of Service. In this episode, we speak to MP and Trent from jpeg.space. jpeg.space is really the home and haven for NFT curation. They are really unique in that they have brought an elevated curation to the space, to the NFT space, while most people were kind of just looking at artists scrolling in big, messy pages full of um, random arrangements that were just distinguished by the date and the price and not really any other organization principle. We are also big fans of JPEG, uh, obviously, because they supported us in our first parallel activation at Art Brussels in 2022. And we organized a show on the JPEG platform that is still visible today. If you just go uh, on jpeg.space and search for Parallel or Art Brussels. And we wanted to talk to Trent and MP specifically about the new development on JPEG, which is the concept of canons uh, related to a technical DeFi concepts, or at least that originated in DeFi, as Trent will explain, called token curated registries. So to understand what canons are, what TCRs are, and what JPEG is, let's just dive in and hear what Trent and MP have to say. Okay, hello, Trent and MP. Great to have you guys here on the Terms of Service podcast. You guys were the first ones who supported Parallel when we did our, our initial project with Art Brussels. So we always have super fun memories of that time uh, where you guys came to Brussels, or at least Trent, you came and, and moderated a panel. And uh, we organized a, a show uh, on, on the JPEG platform. So um, before we start talking about the topic of today, which is your new project, um, the Canons, we'd love to hear you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves and, and how you got to where you are today. And then maybe tell us a little bit also about JPEG and what it is for people who, have, who are not aware of it. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Um, it's great to see you guys again. Uh, that um, that parallel collab exhibition on on JPEG is, is one of my favorites because it's just such uh, I think a core use case of how we originally thought about the the exhibitions and this idea of like taking this these in real life exhibitions and giving them the digital provenance and, and kind of allowing that that uh more global online experience of of those um those exhibitions that people are are putting on so i also have very fond memories of that and that was my first time in in brussels um but yeah so as an introduction i'm i'm trent um ceo of jpeg i i started kind of my crypto journey back in 2018 really going full-time on some DeFi stuff that was like right when like dybx and compound were first coming onto the scene and really loved this um this idea of decentralized finance getting rid of the intermediaries be your own bank type type stuff um so worked full-time in DeFi till about the beginning of 2021 doing a whole bunch of stuff. Yield optimization, MEV, um, uh, was part of a team that launched an algo stable coin called Yam that was a total fiasco, but a really wild, wild ride. Um, and then it was right in the beginning of 2021 that um, started noticing some more conceptually interesting NFTs and just realized how expressive of a medium they could be. Um, and so just really started kind of going all in and getting involved in the communities and things, things like that. Uh, 
couple months later, I was, you know, thinking about what what I wanted to do next in in crypto, and was just looking at the NFT ecosystem and seeing it really kind of like replicate a lot of the traditional art world in terms of you know the big collectors and the big platforms basically determining taste throughout the space, and thought that a decentralized version of this would have a decentralized version of the art world should have a more decentralized taste making apparatus. Um, and so started to think of curation as a way to, um, you know, not have that taste making be so financially and capitally constrained, um, but allow people with expertise to share their opinions on, uh, you know, what's really culturally valuable and interesting in this in this space. So um, got connected with MP and Sam Spike uh, via Twitter and we started DMing and, you know, the rest is the rest is history. So JPEG has the you know, has existed up until last week was essentially an exhibition making platform. You can curate NFTs regardless of ownership um, and really trying to, you know, map out some of the cultural context of the of the space. Um, and we formed a, a, you know, small but interesting community around around that use case. But um you know, there's so many NFTs and there's such a missing kind of contextual data layer for the ecosystem, we realized that essentially like exhibitions and provenance alone aren't really going to be enough to, um, uh, you know, categorize and create that context that we're really looking for. Um, and so the Canons product, which we can, you know, dive dive a lot deeper into later is essentially a token curated registry project, um, which was this big meme in 2017, in which basically uh, a TCR is uh list of some information governed by token holders. So we have an NFT that allows people to, you know, create canons and submit NFTs and NFTs collections to the canons, really trying to fill in this gap that we see between individual collections on Twitter that you get socially recommended and, you know, the really broad categories you see on marketplaces like collectibles, art, gaming, yada, yada. Um, and so the first one we launched was the the Dynamic Canon um, last week, which goes up for voting in about a day or so. We've got, you know, essentially a hundred, a little over a hundred of the, the governing NFTs, the Canonicons minted and about a hundred proposals to be um, added to the dynamic, dynamic canon. So um, really cool, interesting, interesting traction. Um, so sorry for the long-winded and, you know, rambling intro and overview there, but um, yeah, I think that kind of sums, sums it up. Thanks. Okay. MP, your turn. Sure. Um, so I got into crypto in 2017 after discovering it um, a year before. Um, I discovered it in a really funny way. I was doing some uh, charity work here in Berlin, and uh, one of and I was uh, doing art workshops with children. One of the kids was super smart and wanted to be a programmer. So one of my friends said why don't we take him to my company to uh, talk to the people building the technology so that he learns. And then, yeah, I hear this guy talking about blockchain in a very compelling way, the most compelling way of them all. And it, it turned out being Gavin Wood, the co-founder of Ethereum. Um, so of course he was talking in a compelling way. 
And after that, you know, it sort of like rewired my brain and I really wanted to get in. So I spent a while just closing, you know, pending matters. And then I applied for a job at the Web3 Foundation uh, that Gavin was actually launching and got the job in June 2017. Immediately started studying because at that time there was no materials available at all uh, for high level people. Um, then I fell in love exploring as well with the Ethereum community. I was like, wow, the, you know, like the, like the Polkadot community, which I, which I was building was, was just getting started. And when I discovered the Ethereum community, it blew my mind. I was like, I, I actually want these. Um, I don't want to build one from scratch. And through the Ethereum community, it was that uh, I changed jobs to an Ethereum project. Uh, and uh, I got involved in a program called Ethereum Community Fund that used to be give grants, uh, infrastructure grants. One of the first grants that we gave was uh, actually to one of the very first NFT-related projects uh, by Matt Condon, who is uh, basically the grandfather of NFTs. And that's how I came across NFTs in March 2018. After that, uh, I, I, I stayed very involved. Uh, I organized with Matt and others uh, the first uh, little conference. We were 20 people in San Francisco. Uh, Song Day Man was uh, playing the guitar, talking about digital scarcity. And I started collecting um, not many pieces. I, I think I had two or three because, you know, it was the middle of the bear market as well. And uh, on the side, I was also starting um, a nonprofit here in Berlin, the Department of Decentralization, through which we did hackathons. And a very strong um, passion of ours was exploring the intersection between blockchain and art. Uh, with one of my friend curators from Berlin, and we we decided to start writing on the about this intersection, uh, you know that that uh, it delved deeper into NFTs. Published our first paper in April 2019, and uh, throughout the pandemic, we were writing a second paper that was about funding mechanisms and how to uh, how the hacker culture could nurtured the cultural workers uh, that were undergoing a crisis for obvious reasons. Everything was shut down. And uh, we noticed that at the time that it, uh, we had to update everything about NFTs, um, everything was changing all the time. You know, this was um, this was around like November 2020. And we were already hosting uh, Zara Sucker and Lindsay and uh, other art, uh, other people uh, tied to NFTs. But no one knew really what was what was happening, you know, and I still couldn't up, uh, update the, the damn paper to make it uh, uh, be published, uh, published worthy. So, you know, finally, we published after like two months of like struggling again. And uh, every, everything explodes. Um, and that's where I was like, okay, maybe I should do something about all this knowledge, translate it into something that creates, you know, a, some kind of company. And at that time, I, you know, I was crossing messages with Trent and uh, sharing, you know, my, my writing as well with uh, 
with him and he was in the same stage. So everything was really, really organic for us. Um, and we started building right away, which is quite amazing. Uh, the TCRs uh, or the Canons were the very original uh, idea after, you know, this, or, uh, this uh, initial seed of the, of the decentralized taste making and a uh, gallery. And then we, you know, we thought it was too esoteric at the time that we were, uh, you know, creating the exhibitions interface, especially because, um, you know, we were in the middle of the bull market and the opportunity cost was very high of launching something that people couldn't understand. So um, we left it aside uh, with the very clear intention to come back to it. Um, and now is the time. So I am so excited. I spent all weekend on Twitter uh, and Discord checking our community. We have a community. The dialogue is incredible. Um, so it's, yeah, it's the best time. Wow, that's great. So I think, you know, what, one of the things that that people or that I personally discovered when I when I discovered JPEG that was really interesting was that in the sort of forest of NFTs that you encounter when you sort of get into the space, you typically will go to platforms, marketplaces to sort of understand what exists. And, you know, there's there's clearly in those environments, there's a lack of curation. And it seems like for you guys, the number one sort of primitive that you're tackling is this idea of how do you how do you create a space for a curatorial approaches towards NFTs? And I think I've read somewhere that you you've said one of you said that curation is a second order creation. Is that accurate? Is that some part of your of your uh, language? It's part of uh, when we started defining what is curation to actually know what we were talking about. Um, that was the conclusion that we came up with because it's it's very hard to define curation. I, actually, I'm writing an essay. On the topic and you know like the tech community thinks of curation in a way uh, the artistic community thinks of curation in a second way and then there's the curated lists of wines and curated uh, salami boxes and whatever um so it's it's really hard uh, so we took it on ourselves to you know like sort of define it and try to um you know create our own our own community based on that right yeah, I mean, it's it's true that curation is an overused term in a sense, but I guess in the NFT space, what what really is is necessary is is the fact that there has to be the ability for people to start expressing. I think, as Trent, you were saying, a sort of a taste or a historical context, or at least some kind of selection based on parameters others than just like mega categories like arts versus collectibles or something like that. Um, so it seems like the, the problem that you were tackling with JPEG was really to create a tool that would allow people to do that. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And I think I think one of the other um, things that we really think about relating to curation is like getting out of the the just really ephemeral nature of how NFT attention is distributed, um, you know. You get, you know, curated Twitter threads where people show kind of like what they're interested in, or you get, um, you know, the the volume 
you know, rankings on, on various marketplaces. And so when it comes to discovery within this space and, uh, you know, discussion and, you know, attention at a basic level, um, it is also so based in a specific moment in time. And there's very little kind of retrospective um, uh, attention given. And so, you know, part of our our exhibition process is storing the exhibitions on our so that there's kind of this permanent, permanent provenance. Um, and then I think, you know, as far as the, the categorization and the canons, I think we really want to start, you know, segment, segmenting some like interest based uh, categories such that, you know, if you're into, you know, specifically dynamic NFTs or interactive or CCO or like whatever it is, your ability to discover stuff in that category is not limited to whatever is the most recent thing people are talking about on Twitter or that's getting, you know, financial volume curated, but is actually based upon the substance of the 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 NFTs, not limited to just, yeah, again, that that uh that most recent, most recent thing. Um which you know, I think gets to this other part of of curation that that we really believe in, and you know, MP is writing about that. Uh, you know, one of the the critiques that I think the art segment of you know NFT Twitter kind of throws at how much of nft twitter uses curate is that it's like it's not curating it's selecting like what what a lot of people are doing in nfts is uh they they call curating is really selecting um which i think you know has some merit to it i think one of the things that within art you need to be doing when you're curating is a kind of like archival approach and there's a care and preservation element to to curation besides just you know curation is the second order of creation this kind of like meaning making and connection making that really maps maps things out um obviously that's that's super important but how are you uh you know really adding to the conversation along on a long-term basis and um you know caring for for the cultural legacy of the of the assets um and so i think you know that's that's a really big part of the motivation of the of the canons as, as well is is starting to get into you know not just the selection of nfts that people think are cool and adding the context there but how can we actually you know partake in the, the archival process um mm-hmm. yeah yeah, there was something that I thought was really interesting in in the way that you guys were presenting a show. So essentially, your base object on JPEG is an exhibition, right? Um, so it, it seemed like you were you you were storing this exhibition on the blockchain as well, sort of giving it a anchor in uh, in the blockchain. So a specific time when the show comes out, there's a series of works that have been selected. And so there's almost like a historical proof that those works were put together in a certain context at a, at a given time. What what form exactly does this uh, the, does this storage on the blockchain take? Is it a kind of an NFT of a show, or like what do you call that storing of the show on the on the blockchain? Yeah, so we we store it on our weave, which is a um, they technically call it a block a block weave. It's a 
um, mechanism kind of similar to IPFS, but with some economic assurances baked into it. So you actually have to pay for your storage up front. And there are essentially, you know, validators or nodes that are storing that information. And they have to prove that they they're accurately storing the the information uh that you know the block weave blockchain is is saying that they do. Um and so you know we've we've gotten a number of uh you know requests for exhibitions to become nfts in some capacity i've never really like seen a whole lot of uh you know reason to do that i haven't been very uh convinced by you know that use case um but you know maybe we'll do that at some point in the future i think for us currently the the important thing is just like making sure that um the data is available kind of like in perpetuity so that we can look back and say, um, you know, hey, these, you know, this curator was paying attention to these objects when, you know, nobody else was or, uh, you know, look at this interesting moment in time in which, you know, these particular artists were in dialogue with one another, uh, you know, the the use case of the nfts like we call them exhibitions right but those exhibitions can take a number of forms we've done uh you know twitter spaces in which we recap the conversation and the the kind of nfts mentioned in an exhibition people show off their their collection as an exhibition they show off the things that they've created as an exhibition um uh i use it often as like a um you know right when a a new a new collection uh is launched to kind of like quickly review and pick out some of my favorite pieces as a kind of like introduction and education to that to that collection for people that don't have the time to you know look through the entire the entire thing but want to kind of understand what it's about um uh so there are kind of a number of different approaches to to the thing but i think for us the the important the importance is that those actions which are really kind of more cultural signals than financial signals get get stored and recorded for you know years down the down the line and it that basically and you know just to to add the non-technical aspect as well um that basically responds really well to you know to original ideas of you know what the curatorial labor entailed um we you know uh, historicizing objects uh, together with exhibition making and preservation um and obviously updating constantly uh, you know what a museum had in display by adding new pieces and uh, by that adding new pieces to history uh, responds uh, directly to you know storing um i on are we instead of uh, you know for ex for example minting nfts of exhibitions um you know we're looking for a for the for the little bits of history and uh, yeah in my opinion as well even if it's a good cool idea to to you know mint nfts just for bragging uh, rights or you know as uh, you would write a book before i think that you know having pieces of data um that are easy to search uh, and uh, 
share with other people are is you know a very important part. But so yeah, just to clarify, what gets stored essentially on the on, on our weave in this case is almost like metadata around the exhibition. So the name of the curator, the date, the description, or what exactly do you do you store there? Yes, yeah, so we store uh, the the curator's uh, name and address, the time of the the uh, publishing, and then any text and the contract and token IDs uh, that that are in the the exhibition. Um, so it takes you know if you wanted to uh, actually go in you know recreate one of our exhibitions that is stored on on our weave on your own site you know you would also you would need some infrastructure to then also you know query the the token id the contract and token id to pull the the asset we don't actually go and like store the asset as well but um you know that's pretty available infrastructure so they are you know totally reproducible on you know any any interface that that wants to to do so Right. So if I was comparing this to uh, if I was an archaeologist in uh, in 100 years, I would essentially find uh, a trace that said so and so curated this on this date. And these were all the works that were in it by this artist, this artist. Um, and it's it's really just this kind of list of, of information around the show. Correct. Yes, correct. OK, cool. And and before we we, we go further in terms of like what the how you guys got from this to to canons i i'd love to understand something because we're we've been sort of in the course of this podcast building our way up from blockchains to smart contracts to nfts and we've talked a little bit about storage but you guys made a a, a particular decision to work with arweave which is in my understanding sort of the competition to ipfs um or at least it's a different approach to storage could you describe a little bit why you picked our weave and what's special about it yeah i mean it's it's worth mentioning that at one point we were actually storing the exhibitions uh fully on ethereum l1 um that obviously was not a very cost-effective long-term solution. And, you know, when considering whether to store something on chain, you know, you got to ask, for us, the big reason to store just data on the blockchain is whether you want that data to be interacted with in some way. And we just couldn't find enough use cases to really warrant that of, you know, people, another smart contract for some reason wanting to reference the the exhibition data um you know i think as our community and traction and the the use cases proliferate maybe that starts to become a desirable thing again but i think for you know the initial version it made sense to to store the information off chain but in a way that is accessible transparent public all of that kind of stuff um so then it was a question of you know do we put them on ipfs do we put them on arweave do we use something like ceramic which um is another kind of uh user data storage solution um that i think is 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 actually really quite quite interesting in a number of ways it's just still a little bit too new when we were uh when we were getting going um 
as far as the the IPFS versus the Arweave, you know, the biggest thing came to uh, the the necessity to keep any IPFS data pinned, and the concerns around that data, you know, not being permanent without kind of dedicated people wanting to keep it available. Um, in contrast to Arweave, in which you essentially just pay a fee up front, and then as long as the network as a whole is operating, that data will be available. Um, so it's it's a slightly different approach to you know decentralized storage that um, replaces the kind of hey keep your data up and like you know replaces that kind of like personal responsibility um, with uh an economic an economic component to essentially you know make it the network as a whole's responsibility economically to to keep that data available cool so so now that we understand a little bit more what what jpeg is and and how you guys think about curation so you've recently released this this canon idea could you just tell us a little bit, because I was I was reading about how you're describing it and you were talking a lot about reputation. Could you describe what the canons are and what problem it is that you're solving with, with this? Because I don't think I've ever heard anyone else talk about uh, these TCRs, and maybe that's just because it, I'm not informed enough, but it seems like it's a somewhat new idea or an idea that um, that applies specifically to what you guys are doing with, with JPEG. Yeah, so I mean, TCRs back in like 2017, 2018 were this really big meme in the space that it was like uh, there was a time when that was the thing we were going to use blockchains for um, kind of before DeFi came onto the to the scene. And so there were a couple interesting experiments with them, you know, AdChain, which was, you know, was supposed to be this kind of like list of websites that were, you know, approved for high quality you know, advertising locations. There was Foam, which was kind of a, a decentralized Google Maps alternative in which people, you know, the, the TCR component was um, creating, you know, points of interest and making, you know, informational elements uh, according to those points of interest. At the base, right, it's a decentralized governance mechanism to create information of some kind. Um, uh, in their original, in those, in those original examples, they, they really take on a lot of economic assumptions in which, you know, the, the actors in the system are kind of like purely rational. And, you know, if I want to add something to the registry, I'll stake 100 tokens. And if someone thinks that that's wrong, they'll stake 110 tokens, and then it'll go to arbitration. And then, you know, whoever's right based on the community vote will then, you know, get the other person's tokens and the voters will get tokens and all of this stuff, right? So like super governance heavy in a very economic economically oriented way. Um, and I think in those examples, specifically governance of information that like basically already existed elsewhere, um, which meant that, you know, you not only have a really high governance hurdle 
on each individual action. You also have this like governance mountain to climb to reach parity with existing information sources. Um, and so those were kind of like two of the, the pieces that felt to us like why TCRs back in 2017, 2018 failed. And maybe there's a way to orchestrate them such that, that those aren't such, such big issues. Um, and so as we started to conceptualize what TCRs for NFTs would be, you know, those were two of the big places where we wanted to do something a little bit different, right? We didn't want all these like crazy economic, uh, rationality assumptions involved, um, didn't want it to be like a pay to play and like a play to earn type mechanic. Instead, we wanted to go with a more reputationally based scheme. So, you know, something more like Wikipedia than, uh, uh, you know, a like DeFi, you know, governance type type thing, right? We want people who recognize the importance of the data and just want to help create that data and like be recognized for their uh, their contributions so you know playing this game in a high passion and high status arena made a made a lot of sense to us um and then the second thing was that you know we wanted to create data that doesn't currently exist you know if you want to go find all of the you know in our current alpha version if you want to find all of the dynamic NFTs that exist on Ethereum, that list just doesn't exist anywhere currently. If you want to find all the CCO projects or nouns derivatives, or you know the list goes on, there's this just this huge missing contextual data layer for the ecosystem today, and I think that's really what we want to to target, and we think that it can really help. Um, you know, the, the discoverability, the searchability um, of the of the space as a whole and is, you know, something that we just constantly feel ourselves as we try and research various, you know, trends and collections and ideas in the space that uh, that has been been missing. And, you know, thus far, you know, three, four, five days into launch, I guess now, um, I think that's something that's, that's really resonating with, with people that, you know, we all have little pieces of this contextual information puzzle. Um, and so if we can just coordinate together to, um, to crowdsource that, that information, it can have a really big, really big effect. Uh, MP, would you like to add anything to that? Um, I guess that, you know, the only things that I that I want to add, uh, because, uh, yeah, Trent described everything really well, is that, uh, you know, our perspective is always uh, one of generating, uh, you know, more access, um, I, especially to people that, you know, probably are not so blockchain peeled as uh, us uh, as us um so and every mechanic and every way of entering the the systems that we build have have to be first of all completely permissionless and open and fun to participate and you know just uh, try to avoid generating um the feeling of alienation that comes with uh, getting started with blockchain tooling as well um uh, you know, by understanding that, uh, first of all, uh, you know, the NFT conversation is for everyone. Uh, these are cultural objects. 
Um, they are our cultural objects and uh, the infrastructure that we're building should be for everyone as well. And uh, it shouldn't, uh, people shouldn't have to, you know, pay a fee to join that conversation. Um, it's already very expensive to start as a collector, you know, especially because you have to pay for gas and then of course uh, to pay for the NFTs and uh, to get position, you need huge bags as well. Um, so we're creating a different way of uh, not only opening dialogue, but also adding value that can uh, last for uh, many, many years. Right, and and so you you guys use the term canon um, in this uh, in this discussion around the the token curated registry. I guess a canon, in a sense, if we think about it in the in the history of arts, is usually uh, referring to something that is, let's say, recognized as having historical weight and value, and as being almost like the representative of a certain time or of a certain type of art. W what do you guys call canon in this case? It's sort of um, it's sort of tongue in cheek, um, but also uh, you know it starts from the notion that you know there there's been a lot of uh, talk about uh, you know what what is actually part of a, you know an NFT canon and you know there's been also efforts on trying to um, sketch out canons for example of a net art uh, with a net art anthology by Rysom. Um that is all incredible um and uh, as someone really embedded in the art world i really respect all of those efforts uh but i think that uh, in the context of an open and you know as like i said permissionless uh, web3 where you know hopefully everything is a little bit more democratic um we want to create our own terminology and using existing terms uh, and especially using them in a in a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek but also very uh, mysterious way where people you know start thinking of you know what what does uh, what, uh, what does something being canonized actually mean um it's it's a good way uh for us uh, but yeah uh, Trent uh, also has more context yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's obviously like, you know, the the capital C canon, like, you know, Western literature canon or like the religious, you know, the religious canon. There, there's kind of like this, um, you know, really professional weighty term of canon. But then I think colloquially colloquially it's been you know co-opted by anime communities and just like general you know hey this is you know this is canon in you know the the um you know whatever whatever kind of little niche community you're a part of i think it's really related to lore in a lot of in a lot of ways um and so you know it felt really kind of like on brand and and relevant to us i mean obviously the name of our project is jpeg right the the implication of course being that like uh you know obviously these these things are more than jpeg so it's it's the, the same kind of tongue-in-cheek approach that the I think we really feel is important to to bring to this space in which like everything always feels, you know, like 
people always want to make it feel, I guess, so serious and like uh, almost like stylized in a certain way. And we just want to bring a little bit of, of levity to that. Um, and so, you know, I guess the the irony is is like almost in the reverse of how we treat it with our with our name that like, um, you know, rather than going from you know, the unserious name to, you know, the seriousness of, of NFTs is really like the seriousness of the canon to the, the unseriousness of, you know, um, this community sourced uh, uh, data that really is trying to, in general, I think, be more comprehensive than like a really elite selection, though I'm really excited about that potential as well. You know, the way in which the cans operate they have a criteria that essentially guides people's voting um you know voting behavior and you know whether a thing should be included or or not so for the dynamic nfts you know we just have we have this criteria and basically anything that meets that criteria should be included on there but i can really imagine in the future going kind of um more on the less on the community archiving which is you know the comprehensive approach to the community curation aspect which is trying to be much more you know selective towards a certain you know standard or uh you know uh level of quality or or whatever whatever it is um so there's there's a couple of different ways that it could could play out one of which being more in the traditional uh canon making art world terminology Okay, so if if I maybe you could explain what would what would be the process for someone who wants to engage with this mechanism? Um, how do they start, and and what are the actions that you take to start, let's say, um, entering into this uh, token curated registry system? Yeah, so I mean, there's obviously the 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 governors of the mechanism, but then there's also the the viewers and to, you know, bring back one of MP's points about, you know, accessibility. I think one of the things that's worth really pointing out about this, um, this data that's being created is, is really interesting and beneficial for, you know, people just getting into the NFT space and like deeper experts alike, right? If you're, if you're just getting introduced to the space, you know, a lot of people, shorthand the nft space as a whole to like the apes or you know the profile pictures whatever um but starting to allow people to have an entry point that actually understands kind of the different mechanics and themes and and technical implementations that are that are happening in here um as well as if you're deeper in and you want to uh you have this specific interest you're trying to research you know what what does this one specific segment look like um finding new new and uh maybe on less less known projects and and works within the space i think it's it's interesting for both so on the participation from a viewing front you know i think there's you know is just about following and and checking in with you know what's being proposed and and things like that i think there's a lot of value just in the the viewing of the data obviously um for those who want to actually participate in the governance you need to get access to the canonicon nft which is what allows you to actually participate in voting and uh uh that type of thing and so for the moment while we're in alpha you know it, we have a allow list that we're continuing to update to get more people more people involved um 
And we'll probably keep that allow list for, you know, the foreseeable future, primarily because we want to make sure that, you know, high value contributors are the ones engaging and not, you know, bots of various kinds and, you know, yada, yada. Um, so we'll likely have a fairly simple mechanism around that. Right now, it's just like verifying your wallet in Discord. Um, might do a kind of like Twitter verification in the future. Um, uh, some different ideas around around kind of how to continue continue to open up the allow list without, you know, just making it a, a, a bot frenzy. Um, but once you've kind of minted the, the NFT, you've gotten access to that allow list, then basically you just go to, you know, a specific canon. You can, um, you know, look at all the existing proposals. You can propose your own uh, your own NFT submissions to be included in that, in that proposal process, um, at which point we're basically on a weekly governance cadence. So, you know, everything that gets proposed over the course of the week, um, is in the pending category, and then it moves the next week into the active category, so that you can vote on all of those all of those submissions. We have a, we rolled our own um, wallet signature based system that allows you to vote on you know fifty proposals, as many pro proposals as you want, with a single signed transaction. We store all of those votes on our weave. At the end of that week, then all of the existing active uh, proposals become canonized or rejected, um, and the uh, current pending proposals become become active. Um, so our you know our mission with that kind of cadence and the the multi voting thing was really to help with some of the governance apathy issues we see in the space generally and specifically with TCRs in the past. Um, so hopefully that that kind of regular cadence and multi-voting thing allows for people to, uh, you know, pay attention, you know, on a, on a semi-regular basis without having to, you know, oh, I wonder if there's a new proposal. I wonder if there's a new proposal like that, that kind of uh, constant updating process. You know, we're going to do a spaces each week that, you know, reminds people, all right, this is what's being proposed. You know, let's all go chat through the submissions and, um, you know, we can all go kind of like execute our votes together, tracking it all in Discord, all of that kind of stuff. So essentially, it's operating in a very similar way to a to a DAO with a with a, a snapshot. Instead of snapshot, you have a different voting mechanism. But would you say that it's a similar mechanism? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I would I would consider us now to essentially be a DAO, um, yeah. uh, at least in relation to you know the the data creation component. You know, we still, as the JPEG team, we still, you know, have final say over, uh, you know, what actually gets, you know, added theoretically. We can, you know, again, theoretically, if you're just like spamming week after week or like just making the process like you're just like actively acting adversarially in the system, you know, theoretically, we can take away your voting power. Though we do also have a spam vote option that, you know, allows essentially the community to moderate itself. Um, it's obviously the preferred mechanism, but um, so we're, we're, we're like a soft DAO currently. And that's actually one of the things I'm kind of most excited about with the the project is that you know 
we could end up being, um, you know, like one of the most active DAOs in crypto because the nature of our thing is that you're doing a whole bunch of governance actions, you know, each week. Um, and so, you know, I, that's a huge success metric for us. If uh, uh, we start to be viewed as a project that has, you know, in some interesting way, really cracked the, the, DAO community governance active participation nut. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I guess the 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 the, the term DAO uh, also helps understand this a little bit. I want to I want to take this to maybe a slightly more uh, I won't say controversial, but but topic of debate. Let's say which kind of came up. I don't know if you remember this trend, but uh, the last uh, panel that we had during Art Brussels was a sort of a roundtable. And there was some artists there and there were some curators there. And there was a big kind of, I was astonished to hear quite a few artists who were present were essentially criticizing the fact that more and more curators were coming into the space. And that because of that, they were going to become the new gatekeepers instead of the old gatekeepers, right? So, so that we used to have galleries and all kinds of intermediaries, then NFTs came about and the big promise was no more intermediaries, it's direct from artist to collector. But then the argument became, but wait a minute, that's a big mess. There's so much stuff out there. Somebody has to be making selections. Somebody has to be uh, attracting collectors through a certain uh, taste making, contextualizing, et cetera, et cetera. And I totally understand that you guys are using the word canon tongue in cheek, but in a sense, it almost feels like you're pressing into that issue a little bit. What would you say is is your position in that in that debate? And obviously, you're maybe not taking sides, but I'm I'm sure it's something that you're thinking about. We are. Um, so first of all, uh, the artists that said that you know curators are gatekeepers are not really understanding what a curator actually does. Um, you know, <laughs> the job of a curator, as you guys well know, it is a you know, a labor that, you know, like it's oftentimes not very well paid. Um, there's lack of documentation as well. Um, so it's not well, uh, doc uh, so it's not well, uh, yeah, documented as well. Um, you know, only a few curators make it to, you know, being recognized in mainstream. Um, but the curators, uh, you know, have a sense of duty on uh, safekeeping and selecting artworks. And uh, of course, you know, in the Web3 world, we like to say that there's no intermediaries, but in the end, there's intermediaries everywhere. There's a, the ideal thing is that there's no intermediaries uh, when it comes to, you know, sales and people taking cuts, uh, but in, in a, in a sphere where, where, you know, there's like thousands of collections of NFTs being born every month, um, then it's on the artist's best interest to actually get surfaced by other people. And these other people can be anyone from uh, Twitter, uh, Anons, to a uh, Contemporary art curators, it doesn't really matter as long as there's a layer, a social layer of uh, actors that are, uh, you know, working beyond minting and beyond acquiring as well. Uh, so, and most importantly, an artist wants uh, their pieces to be perceived and read uh, by many people. And the job of uh, the, uh, the, uh, the translator 
uh, is also part of the curatorial role. So, yeah, I I really, you know, I really wouldn't understand why people, you know, would just disparage um, this labor, um, understanding all of the context. And, you know, also by simply looking at OpenSea and seeing uh, what's happening. Um, moreover, uh, I guess that this was a, also, you know, it, it, it has to be said, I wasn't there in the panel, but it has to be said that the panel was also happening um, at the end of the bull market and people felt very empowered and felt they could uh, sell everything and they didn't need any intermediaries. And uh, yeah, we're now a few months in a really uh, <laughs> brutal bear. And people are also starting to realize that, you know, maybe it's not so great to be your own, uh, to be the artist, your own press agent, your own um, community manager, your own curator, your own uh, everything, um, you know, that you know, there's cultural workers and uh, there's a whole ecosystem around an artwork and art making um, that serves purposes. Um, of course, um, I understand where people are also coming from if they're coming from the traditional art market and they have some frustrations. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think there's there's some nuance to be explored there. I agree with you 100%. And I think what, you know, what we were seeing were mostly artists who probably had a hard time breaking through to an art market before there were NFTs and who suddenly found an audience and then who sort of got scared that this... Um, that there would be a new layer of filtering that might separate them from their audience, which I think is an unfounded, unfounded fear, because once you have your audience, there's no nobody's going to take it away from you. Um, but it, it definitely was an interesting moment of seeing this kind of uh, borderline panic at 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 a sort of a, a group of curators and, and saying you guys are going to be uh, uh, essentially creating new barriers for us. And and I think that's what where yeah. the argument uh, didn't really right. Yeah. But I think, uh, you know, if they if they hit it, uh, if they didn't hit it in the traditional art marketing and they hit it in the uh, in the NFT art market, um, it's because they they with a, a different network of relationships that this time worked. But it doesn't uh, take away from the fact that the previous time they were also weaving a, a network of relationships. Um, you know, I don't. Uh, I don't see anyone that's able to sell anything just by posting it on, uh, just by minting it on OpenSea or minting it on Super Rare. There's some social weaving that everyone needs to do. Um, and it's a little bit about talent. Um, it's a lot about hard work in uh, creating these uh, networks and these relationships. And it's a little bit about luck as well. Um, so it, and it has nothing to do with the curators, uh, in both, probably in, in, in both, uh, in both fields, uh, although in the art market, of course, there's a certain way, uh, weight in, you know, a person, um, selecting you as one of their favorite artists. But if an influencer on Twitter selects you as a favorite artist, it's the same. Um, so I, I'm, yeah, I'm really not seeing it now. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think on, a, on, on another note that's very related to this, um, one of the things that we often get asked whenever we're out interacting with artists who are interested in starting to get into the NFT space is how do you find this audience? And as you said, there are 
a bunch of different things that have to happen. Um, but one of the questions that we're very interested in at, at Parallel is how do we bring artists who are, let's say, from the traditional art world who already have an audience there, and how do we bring them into the NFT space? And one of the things that we've seen, I think, is that in a sense, there is a, uh, let's say, a, a communities that get built around artists or artist groups that, that sort of coalesce very strongly and that support each other. And uh, breaking into these uh, into these groups is probably as hard as finding a gallery. I would say it seems like there's a, a clear, uh, understandably uh, network that that functions around certain artists who have found a specific audience of potential buyers, of collectors, but also of supporters, promoters, etc. And uh, I'd love to hear any thoughts that you may have that would help uh, artists who are maybe more used to a pure uh, trad arts, let's say, path uh, to getting into NFTs? I guess it's uh, it's a little bit daunting to tr to set up a Twitter account, start talking to anons, uh, you know, and not having all the apparatus that uh, that you have around, you know, going to events, um, having some drinks and uh, talking to people that might uh, you know, open up uh, an opportunity to you or not, but it's exactly the same thing, except uh, in one of them, you can actually be in your, uh, maybe in two of them, in the two of them, you can actually be wearing your pajamas at home. And then, and, and, and the second one is more about, uh, you know, uh, just like appearing and showing up everywhere. Um, I don't know. I I really, you know, I think the more I get to know the the traditional art world, the more I realize that uh, the work um, is exactly the same. Um, the thing is that, uh, of course, uh, you know, I guess that the traditional uh, art market is a little bit more filtered than the NFT one, and entering. Um, a craziness like the like the NFT world is is intimidating. I think there's one one big uh, difference, and I don't think it's necessarily purely on the NFT side, but I would say it's something that pertains quite a bit to the digital art worlds, and it's something that I've investigated for quite some time. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but I I personally feel that there is a pretty big lack of critical discourse around digital artworks. In the sense that the sort of the criteria that are used mostly to uh, to judge or to discuss these works seem to be quite, let's say, um, I don't know, they, they don't seem to, to, to dive into, let's say, a deep understanding of where these works come from or what they're trying to achieve or the conversations that they're starting. And they seem to be more based on just purely, let's say, aesthetic or contextual notes um, and, and that don't seem to to lead to conversation that seem to lead, lead to maybe what we've all been brought up to consider the best form of judgment, which is a like, or a, you know, an, an emoji or something. And I, I wonder if you guys feel that, or if there is a sort of a, a world of critique that we're not maybe aware of, but it'd be really interesting to know if that is something that, that, that could develop more, uh, maybe through what you guys are doing, of course, also with the canons, because it, it, it is already selecting is a form of, of critique because whatever you're not selecting, you're doing it for a reason. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think you're the expert on this one, Alex, um, especially when it comes to digital art. Uh, but it's true that I see 
uh, less scrutiny um, in in the digital art realm and less discourse. Um, and I think that uh, also Trent can uh, can speak really well about this. But I'm I'm just gonna pitch it. Um, you know, unfortunately, in in the NFT world, uh, you know the more conceptually rich artists not often are the ones that are uh, the most successful. Um, and uh, without uh, going into specifics, um, so the, the recent acquisition of the Rafik Anadol that uh, got into the MoMA, great artwork, um, looks very pretty. Uh, apparently it has you know some some degree of concept um however it doesn't really encapsulate none of the like sort of like side guys um of the nft um uh, environment or uh, it's also not one of the most conceptually rich ones um so you know what I'm what I'm thinking is that uh, you know what captures is actually the market value, um, and this is very unfortunate. And definitely at JPEG, and you know not only with the canons but also with the discussions that we want to foster uh, that those canons and the inclusion or not in the canons and the new canons that are uh, going to be proposed by people um, are, uh, will surface is a, a new level of a dialogue and scrutiny. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I have some, a couple, a couple like nuance, nuance takes here. Like as far as getting in from the traditional art world to the NFT space, like the first thing to recognize is that like your existing community is not following you. So you have to build, build a new, a new community. And if you, if you want them to understand, you know, some deeply complex, like conceptual underpinning to what like is not very immediately, you know, inspiring or captivating work, you're going to have a really hard time. Like you need to get people hooked and like wanting to know more and go and go deeper. You know, I think there are a number of, communities out there that do want to do that work but like you got to win them win them over first right and there's i think there's this other dynamic where like uh okay the nft world has a lot of like not great art right i mean so does the traditional art world um and so like there's a reality that if you have been really relying on, you know, your past success and the institutional uh, kind of like uh, backing that you have gained within the, the traditional art world. It's like you're starting from ground zero in the, the NFT world and you need to like actively convince that new community that the ideas that you're presenting are uh important worth paying attention to and worth and worth diving into um and so you know sometimes that is accomplished by you know uh collaboration with 
art blocks or a super rare, like one of these, you know, curating platforms that, that already exists that, that can give you kind of that same stamp of approval. If you can't make those connections, then, you know, you need to start out the same way that anyone starts out in the NFT ecosystem, which is, you know, as MP is saying, doing the groundwork on Twitter and Discord and all of that kind of thing doing initial drops and uh, publishing work that is, you know, at affordable prices that can get people on your side and advocating for you, promoting you and, um, and engaged in your, in your work. Uh, I think, I think that's one of the biggest things that, you know, I've seen not happen is that, you know, there's this expectation that, you know, the cultural cachet you have in this domain is going to uh, kind of like one-to-one translate. And, you know, then it's like, oh, well, it's not translating. Like, where's all the critical critical discourse? And like, we do definitely have a critical discourse, you know, lack in the NFT space, but I think it also does does exist in certain circles um, that when you get a community that's really engaged and invested, they, they want to go to that, to that deeper, deeper level with the work. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's clear that there are people out there who are like, I think uh, there's this uh, publication called Outland that seems to do um, a lot of work on, on trying to build some context as well as uh, right click save. And, and it's there, there is definitely, stuff out there just you know as you said it doesn't feel like it's in the mainstream but that's probably the case with uh with with the traditional art world as well well so it's you know it's always really interesting to talk to you guys um and before we before we wrap this up first of all i'd love to ask you if you have anything to add that we didn't cover about jpeg and the canons but i'd also love to know um what you guys see as as jpeg's future what are the are there any upcoming things that you're uh developing that you can announce or or that you want to talk about or tease or is the canons the thing that you're going to be focusing on for the foreseeable future and yeah i would love to know how you see the platform and the tools evolving yeah i mean canons are canons are definitely going to be the focus for the uh the next little while here um we've released the the alpha which is the dynamic canons and you know i do just have to say i've been so encouraged and impressed and excited about the uh the level of engagement around those um you know again i said there's probably a hundred canonicons minted so far and about a hundred proposals within the first week to the dynamic canon so you know i think we're going to have a fairly complete as of you know uh, uh what's been minted so far canon created in in about a week on this particular subject um and the the discourse speaking of discourse that we've been having in the discord about um about what what is a dynamic nft and like what what are the what are the what is the criteria for this and you know oh well how should we kind of like subcategorize these in the future i think you know it, it's some of the most stimulating conversation around nfts that that i've had in a really really long time so there's there's just such a great group of people in there chatting about this stuff right now and really and really getting into the details of it um uh and so kind of 
as this develops over the next you know few weeks and few months we'll be releasing you know we'll be going into you know beta phase which is basically the same as alpha phase except you know we'll have more cannons um and we'll be releasing a new cannon you know every two weeks or so um so i think next on the docket will be uh on chain on chain cannon um i think the one after that i'm really passionate about doing a, a self-published art canon um uh and then kind of after that beta period we'll open up the um the canon proposal process to anyone so you know the community is already getting really excited about the different types of canons that they want to propose and and things like that so we'll um we'll open that process up and then kind of see where you know this this network starts to go and emerge um but i'm i'm really thrilled with with how it's been progressing over the course of the first week and um think that there's just going to be such a a important outcome of of all of this um longer term where is jpeg going um you know we really want to be a community shared resource for expertise and context within within nfts um that'll probably include uh you know some primary market drops with with artists that that we think uh that we're really passionate about um could include some secondary market uh type activity um but for the for the moment i think the focus is really just you know let's let's go out there and create some some really important contextual data and um, yeah like like trend i'm obviously you know very much in a honeymoon uh, phase uh with a project after a year and a half of building it uh, i am incredibly happy um especially with the conversations as uh, trend said as well it's it's amazing to see such rich conversations coming from a, a very genuine place of exploration and learning together um, from community members, new and old. Uh, so this is like really, this is the best thing ever. Um, beyond what Trent has said, of course, you know, like the our focus is the canons and our focus is making uh, people understand the value of the canons and uh, also, you know, learning about what can people do with the canons? What are canon, uh, how could canons actually facilitate your work as a curator, your work as a journalist, um, your work as an NFT alpha seeker? Um, doesn't matter. Um, so that's going to be a little bit of a, at least my personal focus as well uh, while uh, our tech team builds the canons. And you know, on a on a very longer longer uh, horizon, once everything is stabilized and we've achieved everything that we want to achieve, um, uh, I guess that uh, you know we're a very curious team, and there's uh, there's always this insatiable uh, sort of um, impulse towards experimenting, and a little bit of that experimentation. Um, you guys already saw it uh, with interacting with, uh, uh, you know, art fairs like Art Brussels or uh, galleries, uh, gallery shows like Office in Parts and Panke Gallery. And uh, we hope uh, to, you know, continue these kind of like, uh, like more custom experiments and, you know, eventually establish some kind of a uh, lab to collaborate with artists, with galleries, with, uh, and, you know, with people from the NFT space that, uh, you know, 
like have fresh ideas. We were just going to be some sort of like, uh, you know, we're going to deliver the infrastructure, but also make sure that there's always a door open to um, continue building different stuff. Great. Well, we're definitely going to be keeping our eyes open and following what you guys are doing. And, and we recommend to everyone to join the JPEG Discord, um, which is a, definitely a very friendly and interesting place to hang out. And uh, thank you so much for, for all your support and for, for joining us on this, on this conversation and sharing uh, the Canons is definitely much clearer now to have heard you talk about it. And, and we're, we're very excited to see how it develops. Thank you yeah, so much you for having us. us. Yeah. Thanks so much. This is a great conversation. Really appreciate how you guys uh, approach this, this space. So it's been a, a, blush, a pleasure chatting. Cool. Thank you so much. We'll talk again soon.